0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. How we doing? Um, want to echo butch that uh, if you're new here or I haven't met you yet welcome so glad that you could join us um, my name is Riz pastor here at reality Honolulu and uh, right what a blessing it is to to meet on Sundays with you guys in this place um, in this beautiful place that we call home like God is so good that as we gather as a church today like we gather to meet with him right church Church can be a lot of things to a lot of people, maybe our our own experience Jade's, jades that a little bit, but we're gathered to meet with Jesus today, right? And a huge part of our service or our gathering on Sunday mornings is getting in and reading God's word. And we spend like a chunk of time doing it because we believe that in the pages of the Bible, we find Christ. Right, and in scripture, we find the story of God, right, becoming man and living for us and dying for us and rising for us in order to rescue, restore, and redeem us, right? As, in, as we read these truths and we believe and we trust in them as followers of Christ, we're, we're then hurled into like the continued story of scripture as we participate alongside God and seeing renewal and redemption come to all the earth with every heart. It's pretty incredible. It's so much more than this old, ancient, dusty book. It's living and active. It's God's word for us, and it testifies about him and his goodness and his story. Amen? And so what we've been doing, um, if you've been here, is that we've been seeing this vividly happen in the book of Acts, where we are in, we study every week. Uh, If you've been with us, we've been going really slow, like one to two verses per week. And today, we're doing like an unbelievable 14 verses. I know, it throws you off, it's like, you know, downshifting and then going for it, Um, but... We are kind of picking up where we left off, and so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. We're going to be reading the uh, the rest of chapter 1, finishing off chapter 1 today. If you do not have a Bible, as always, there's Bibles on the tables as you walk in. Those are for you to use for the day, but if you do not have a Bible, it's our gift to you and you can take it. Um, and it's yours. But let's go ahead and read Acts 1, verses 12 through 26, and then we'll pray. It says this. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter. John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, uh, James, son of Alphaeus, uh, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and, and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, The scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language al qadama I have no idea if that's how you say it. There you go. That is field of blood. For Peter said, It is written in the book of Psalms, May his place he deserted, let, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary To choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Brasabas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart show us which of these two uh, you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. When they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that This time is meant for you to speak to us. And we give it. We we, we say, Holy Spirit, come and reveal yourself to each of us through God, your word. God, we need it. God, we need it. We need to hear from you. God, would you would you continue or even start for some of us, making us a people that are very aware of our desperate need for you daily. Would you make us a people of humility and dependency upon our God, that we would be a people that live out the truth, that apart from you, we can do nothing. God, would you birth the hunger and desire for prayer in our own lives and in this church. Would you have uh, your way with us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So, up to this point, up to verse twelve of chapter one of the book of Acts, what we've what we've seen or what it's detailed are the forty days between Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and last week we saw his ascension to heaven, and what happened was is that Jesus actually, literally, physically rose from the dead. And over a course of 40 days, he presented himself to his followers, to his disciples, to his family, over, four, over 500 people. He showed them, he testified that he truly was alive from the dead. And it says that he presented convincing proofs to them that he truly was who he said he was, God that was risen from the dead. And in that... And one, of, one of the primary messages that Jesus communicated in these 40 days was a promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come and fall upon the church. Jesus says, it's better that I go. It's better that I leave you, that I no longer am physically, bodily present with you. I need to go to my Father, but the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is going to fall upon the church so that you can have power to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, where they're at, in Judea, in Samaria, the, the close regions to them, still in Israel, to the ends of the earth. A lot's happened busy, crazy, unbelievable, about a month and a half that's happened in the life of the followers of Jesus. And for this inner circle, for these disciples that have been with Jesus, right, they've spent like every waking moment for the last three years around him. They've eaten at the same tables, they've Slept on the floor next to him in homes. They've seen him raise people from the dead and make the blind see and feed 5,000 men along with their families multiple times. He's calmed storms. He's walked on water. And now, what this is, is his kind of final speech. I'm going. I'm sending my helper with you. It's time for you to go now and do it on your own. So even though Forty days earlier, they were utterly discouraged. They thought their Savior, the same man that I just described, was dead. They thought he was God. They thought he was the Messiah. They were utterly discouraged. They went back to their old lives, but now they believe. And this discouragement has turned these ordinary men and women into the most emboldened, solidified, excited, and energized people Their faith has been energized that the world has ever seen. Like, they're ready to go. They weren't before. 40 days earlier, they were scattering. At a moment's notice, they were going to deny Christ. And they did. But now it was different. They had proof of the resurrection. Everything that Jesus said, he did. It's all come together, and everything's changed because of the resurrection, and it has. And last week... We heard from Uncle Butch that you just heard from, an amazing sermon, uh, all about how Jesus ascended to heaven. He left them, which threw them for a bit of a loop, like, like, where are you going? But then the angel of the Lord told the guys, don't worry, Jesus is coming back the same way that he came. Now get going. Like, don't look into the sky. Don't, 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 don't say, oh, I wish, there, I, wish I could go back to the old days. It's, it's time. Now get going, go on. And our text picks up in verse 12 as these guys are now walking away from where Jesus just left them and ascended to the Father. They're walking back towards Jerusalem and it says that they were at a place called the Mount of Olives. This is a very significant place in scripture and in the New Testament. um, If you know much about it, only a month or two ago earlier, Right on the eve of the crucifixion is the famous place where the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed to the Father three times. If there's any way this cup would pass from me, but but not my will, but your will be done. That, that, That tremendously important moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives is a small hill overlooking Jerusalem. Really not large. Uh, or not far away, and there's a, the Kidron Valley is in the middle, right? So you're on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem, and there's this small valley, smaller than, like much smaller than even like Palolo Valley. Uh, it's not long. And they say they travel a Sabbath journey from the Mount of Olives, where Jesus was descended, the Garden of Gethsemane, to the upper room where our text is today and next week. And that distance is only about two-thirds of a mile. Only about a 1,000 yards or so. I have a picture, I think. If you take a trip to Israel, which just real quick, would you guys ever want to do that Bible tour to Israel? Yeah. Okay, just, let, just that was like a poll right now. That was a poll. <laughs> um, that could be us. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love the matching white hats, I'll be honest. I don't think we'll do that. But so right now, this group of people a.k.a. the disciples 2,000 years ago in our text. This is them. Jesus ascends to heaven. This is the Mount of Olives. If you look, there's a slight dip in the valley, and it rises again, and this is, you know, the dome of the rock now, but this is where the temple would have been. Um, That is the old city of Jerusalem, not a far distance. You can go there right now, and it's so profound because you can read this scripture. Jesus ascended from here. The disciples walked there, and the upper room is somewhere right around that where that gold dome is now. So this is what they're doing, right? And I can only imagine how they would be feeling. Like some of them might have been like subdued or overwhelmed or even stunned that Jesus just like ascended in front of them and angels are talking to them. Like and some probably were like hardly even aware that their feet were like still on the ground. Like what is happening? is so surreal. Jesus rose from the dead. We've seen him for 40 days. Now he has ascended. Now angels to talk into, talking to us. What is happening? But what was happening is they were returning to Jerusalem with an incredible excitement and full of joy. And in verse 13, it says that they entered Jerusalem and they went to the upper room. This is speculated, but some believe this is the same upper room in which they previously ate the Last Supper with Jesus ate the last supper with his disciples. Um, In Greek, that text says the upper room, not just any upper room. So a lot of scholars think that um, if that speculation is correct it's beautifully fitting that in the same room that Jesus spoke that the Holy Spirit was gonna come upon them, that next week we'll see the Holy Spirit actually comes in the same place. But either way, this upper room, which we'll see next week, is the place where the promised Holy Spirit falls upon the church during Pentecost. And so next week we're gonna look at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit for the first time, falling upon the church. But they've come back to this upper room because Jesus told them that when I leave you, wait, be patient. The promise of the Holy Spirit is gonna come and fill you. Right, John 14, 16 through 18. This is Jesus And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm going. But God and the person of the Holy Spirit is going to now dwell in you. It's even better than you can even imagine You thought this relationship was good these last three years. Now you're going to become the actual temple of the Holy Spirit, that God himself is going to dwell in you, and there's nowhere and no season that you can't escape him. Even the darkest night, even the hardest trial, as you leave your home, which they will, and encounter incredible persecution for the sake of the gospel, even to the point of death, Jesus would say, I will be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so the reason why they leave the Mount of Olives, cross the Kidron Valley, go into this upper room, why they're gathered together was for one thing and one thing alone. They believed that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them and they were going to receive this promised power. Right? They expected the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And they had absolutely no doubt about it. There's no wavering. There was no discussion. Jesus' words have been 100% true the whole time. There's no reason why this isn't gonna happen. So, in verse 14 of our text this morning, what did they do? They start praying. Let's get together. Jesus is gone. He said, the Holy Spirit's coming. Let's get together and let's pray. I love what this communicates and what this shows. Look at the response of the followers of Jesus. Their Savior is gone. It's game time for them. And they could have just started doing stuff. Most of us probably would. Okay, let's do it on our own strength, our own ability, our own. We don't need to pray. We're good. Jesus just told us we could go do it. But they don't. Like, look at their posture. Their actions communicate quite a lot. They didn't think they knew everything. <laughs> That's one thing. They, didn't, they weren't to admit they had it all together. They didn't trust in their own experience. And these men and women gathered in this room were very well aware of their shortcomings, their weaknesses, their inability to do anything apart from Christ. And for them, this path past month or so had revealed very telling how deep their weaknesses and faults were in a whole new way. It's really important to note that the posture of the church, of the followers of Jesus, were one of humility and dependency. And what happened was is they actually were heeding the teaching of their rabbi and teacher Jesus who had just prior said this to them in John 15. Jesus speaking to the followers, to the disciples. Remain in me and I remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. At the heart and core of what prayer is. Prayer is an acknowledgement of our humility and dependence upon Christ for all things. Prayer isn't just some religious activity that we should do because we think we're supposed to. It's not going through the motion. It's not saying the right words. Prayer comes from a deep, heartfelt, core place that God, I can't do any of this, but God, you can. And prayer is knowing our own inadequacy but trusting in God's full adequacy, right? That that he is able to meet us, empower us, and use us. And that's what's happening here. The disciples aren't just going to a room, they aren't just doing church, and they aren't just praying just because they think they're supposed to. They're doing it because there is no way That they can live their life without God doing it all. They can't move a muscle. They can't walk out of the room. They can't open their mouth. They can't do anything of any value unless, God, you do it. They're desperate. They're dependent. And they're humble enough to say, I'm not good enough, but you are, God. It's not about me. It's about you. And so what we see here is that the church, because there's no, like, church yet this is the start of the church right here there's no church there's no like there's followers of christ but there's no like organized church by any means this is the church and how is the church birthed it's in a prayer meeting the church starts in prayer We'll see this today, we'll see this next week, but it started with dependency and awareness and an utter need for Jesus. What an example. What an example. I'm blessed to, uh, Reality Honolulu is blessed to be a part of a family of churches. I've talked about this before. Uh, It's been around for uh, almost 20 years now. and God has, by his grace, hammered this into the DNA of the reality family of churches that nothing of any significance is going to come unless it's started and birthed in prayer. And so I grew up that way. I've been a part of reality kind of since the beginning. And So I've seen this over and over, tested and tried and, and, and just true. And even us as Reality Honolulu, that's how we started. That's our story. And our our story started in a prayer meeting. Um, That's where God spoke to my wife and I. It was moments that we were were seeking God in prayer, that God even spoke to us. This crazy, awesome idea of leaving all that we knew in our home in California and going to start a church in Hawaii where we had no idea what to expect. No family, didn't come here much for vacation. This was 2012. This was about eight years or so years ago now, that that it first got birthed, and we spent several years involving people and just praying. God, is this your will? Is this what you're doing? We wanna be obedient to it, but God, show us, lead us. We do not wanna go there if it's not you doing it. We felt, our community felt like this is what we were supposed to do. We got sent out to start this church, and we lived here for about nine months or so before the church started and primarily what we were doing was praying. I had no idea about anything so I would like drive around for like all day, get lost with my big truck, like try to fit in parking garages that don't fit it, but pray as, as I went. We started doing weekly, monthly prayer meetings. We started praying. Uh, several of you guys were, were in that. There's a few pictures, actually. We throw one of them up. This is our very first prayer meeting. Um, it's my wife, Seth and Becky, Brad and Anna were there. Hansens, guys are all there. This is the very first prayer meeting for this church. And then another another prayer meeting. We actually moved to uh, the the YWAM base. I don't know if any YWAMers are here today. There you go. Uh, we. We pray there in Manoa um, weekly, asking God for, for this. What's happening now? Just praying, seeking God, like just looking at scripture. The church is birthed in prayer. And so, God, unless you do it, it's not going to happen. Then we did this crazy thing where we invited all the realities, whoever wanted to come. Um, there's a bunch on the mainland. There's one in Europe, one here now. Uh, if you want to come, we're going to pray for a week. We're going to meet in different places throughout the city, learn about the history, learn about the spiritual climate, and we're gonna pray. We're gonna walk neighborhoods and we're just gonna pray. It's called like a prayer tour. And we did it. 150 people came from all over the world. And uh, this is three years ago now. We, we prayed. Um, a couple of pictures. Uh, we, Capiolani bandstand in the park there, we met and, and prayed and saw God. Maybe next picture. Met at the palace one night and sought God for the sake of all of Hawaii. Um, anymore? Oh, this is a uh, Honolulu Christian church in Manoa. It was like morning and night and during the day we were praying. Anymore? I don't know if I have any more. Oh, this is, uh, there's about 20 of us or so that felt like God was, some from the mainland, some from here, uh, felt like we were supposed to be a part of this new work. And so this is the 150 pray- people praying for about the 20 of us uh, to be a part of this. And so, pretty incredible. Do we have any more on that one? Nope. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> My point is, I, I, want, I want to say I'm not boasting of that. What, I'm, what, I'm, what I want to boast in is that that came, is coming out here. Meaning, like, the, what's, ev- what's happened these last Two and a half years as a church. The incredible depth and breadth here. And I stand here today honestly saying that none of it would have happened apart from God answering those prayers and him moving through the Holy Spirit. I want to testify that it's because you and others and Christians got together and they sought the face of God and God answered. And even today is an answered prayer from years of praying this in. And I'm sure there was others on this island also interceding, praying for years before that, that God would continue to move here in Hawaii as he has for a long time. But I will testify to you um, that I believe that if, if you want to go start a church, if anybody is, anywhere, that it has to be done in prayer and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That it does not require any certain training or years of schooling or even special skills. All those are helpful. But to start a church, any church, any community, there has to be a posture of humility and desperation in prayer. And what we see in Acts is what we've seen for the last two millennia that we see in this room today. That there is power in the posture of prayer saw how the church was started. The church was birthed in prayer. church in Acts, the church universal, our church. But also, not only that, the church is sustained by prayer. Like, that's how it keeps going. That's how it's sustained. And even more, we'll see that this wasn't like a one-and-done prayer meeting in the book of Acts. It wasn't like they prayed once and God came and like, Now we're going to put all these structures in place. Now we're going to put like the most gifted orator at the pulpit every Sunday. We're going to put the friendliest face at the door to greet. It wasn't like in their own intuition that they said, okay, we prayed once. Now we're good. We don't need to pray anymore. But we'll see that in the book of Acts, it's like all they do. Before they even leave, before they go out, they lay hands on each other and they pray. And we see God using these ordinary men and women radically for his kingdom. Like their own abilities didn't get to their head. And I believe that the, that we, the book of Acts is the book of Acts because the, the kingdom of God kept moving due to their posture of prayer and humility and it was manifesting itself in prayer meetings. So Reality Honolulu speaking to us this morning. Like, let's take notes and put this into practice. Because, right, if we want something, anything of significance to happen from this work, in this work and through this work, it has to be through prayer. And I wholeheartedly believe that it has to be. So, so as your pastor, as your brother in Christ, as your friend, I want to plead with us this morning, to join in prayer for this work and for God to move in this beautiful place that we all call home. So there's opportunities for this, and I would love to see as a church us grow um, in depth, depth, and in breadth at our prayer meetings. Every Sunday, 9:30, we're outside, we're praying for God to move in our midst. I wanna invite all of you. I know it's a little earlier and we don't even start till 10, 10 anyway. So it's like, wow, you're crazy. Why are you asking so early? You can do it. There's harder things in the world. Coffee's ready. Snacks are here. We made it really easy for you. Love to have you come and seek God with us for him to move here in prayer. Also, about 100 of you guys are in Ohana groups weekly on this island spread out. Like, let's pray more at, at those Ohana groups. I'm an Ohana group leader, so I'm telling myself, like, we got to pray more. But you know what I mean? Like, we're, the church is gathering where you live or where you work on this island weekly. Pray for that place. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your jobs. Like, seek God in prayer in those places. Also, we, we want to cultivate this. And so, like, this Friday night, you heard the announcement, but we have intentional space in this room set apart. That we're gonna exalt the name of Jesus in worship and seek his face in prayer. No other reason, no other agenda, other than God, we wanna see you move at my job with my boss, at my neighbor, in my family on this island for your glory. I think it's gonna happen. Prayer. And so I wanna like invite you into these things. But again, those are corporate and those are good, but where it starts is in each of our own personal lives. Like your heart, like you got you to do it yourself in your personal life, right? With your family, with your kids. Um, do it on your lunch break. Do it alone. Do it in the car. Like you don't have to close your eyes while praying, so you can do it in the car. You can pray while you're driving. It's actually a great place to pray but you have to cultivate it in your own personal life to see significance in it corporately. And prayer is very much like a muscle, right? If you're working out, it's very hard at first and it hurts doing it, Um, but over time, the more you do it, the less you hurt. Like I just started running again, because I haven't run in a while and I need to start running again, and I just ran like super short distance, And I thought it was good. And then two days later, I felt like I hit by a car. Like I seriously was like, I can't believe how much my body's hurting. It's because I wasn't exercising. I wasn't doing it. But you guys know the story. Whether you lift weights or you run or you work out, the more you do it, the less you hurt because you're building muscle and you're building endurance. The same is with prayer. To have a posture of prayer, to regularly do it, and not feel like you get through a whole day, let alone a whole week, and you're like, I didn't even pray this week. Like, let's admit, that happens. Why does that happen? It's because it's not a regular part of our life. We don't have a regular rhythm or habit, so we don't have a posture of it. We don't see the value in it, maybe. Maybe. So I want to speak into that this morning and say the church is birthed in prayer and sustained by prayer. So let's be a part of this historical tradition of seeking God in prayer. Amen? Amen. So what happens next, they're praying, they're seeking the Lord. This is amazing. Then what happens is they recap verses 15 through 20, like Judas's betrayal and death. And it's a little little gruesome there. But Judas was obviously, maybe you know the story, one of the disciples that betrayed Jesus uh, for like thirty pieces of silver, um, gave him over, sold him out, betrayed him, and ultimately killed himself because of it. Pretty, pretty dramatic, right? They had been walking with this guy, and all of a sudden there was this betrayal to their Lord, and it led him to the cross. So Peter's recapping this: what happened, and then in verse twenty-one. It's kind of one of these like interesting logistical things where they're like, I think we need twelve. Eleven doesn't feel good. We have eleven apostles now and Judas is dead. We need twelve. And it's funny because there's not like a great reason. Like who who knows if again this was them or they feel like they need to stick to it. Nobody really knows. They're in this upper room, they're praying, and they're like, This doesn't feel right. We're not a full dozen anymore. Yeah, yeah, we need a guy that's been with us, and so it's kind of an interesting Process, but they go through this process of making a decision of who the twelfth apostle should be, and this is their this is their um, process. I have them on the screen. I think so. So f- you can just put them all up. God bless you. I didn't really think through this. Huh? Um, so f- so first they had a need, and for them it was like, uh, we need a twelfth. Apostle, whether they needed it or not, that's their need. Qualifications to meet the need, right? It goes through like, oh, he needs to be someone that's walked with us, that's been with Jesus, that got baptized by John. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the guy. Uh, and then preference or wisdom, who knows? They narrow down two guys out of that qualification. And then what happens is it says that they cast lots. In other words, they left it to God's sovereignty and a decision was made it 's kind of strange, but this is what happens here, right they go through this they go through this um, and if you don 't know anything about casting lots, casting lots is an ancient practice used by god 's people trusting god 's sovereignty right god you 're in control of everything, so we can just cast lots and um, you 'll just pick by by your sovereignty and so We actually see this 70 times in the Old Testament, seven times in the New Testament up to this point, this idea of casting lots. And it's kind of an interesting process. Most of the time, you had like a bag or like a bucket of of white rocks, but you had one black rock in there. And they're usually like smooth stones. And a lot of times it was to determine if like someone was guilty or not, like either of a trespass or a crime. And so everyone, you'd, you'd pick the number of rocks for the number of people, one black rock. Everyone would, not looking, it seems like a funny game, but it's like big deal here. They would stick their hand into that bucket or that bag. And if you picked out the black rock by God's sovereignty, the lot was cast, you were guilty. So what happens here in this room, something similar, is there's probably only two rocks, one white, one black. The white one, if you picked it, you would be the 12th apostle. If you got a black one, sorry you missed out. That's what's happening here. Um, I actually read recently in in a commentary, that's the the reason why the, the term blackballed, like if you get blackballed from something, it comes from this ancient Jewish tradition of casting lots that you didn't want to get the black rock. You're blackballed if you got the black rot in the casting lot. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if it's true, but there you go. What casting lots seems like for us, what it would be like, is like one of those maybe magic eight balls, like when you have a kid where there's like something in the middle, and you're spinning, like, should I do my homework tonight? And you you go like this, and, you know, it's cloudy, and then it comes up and be like, maybe. You're like, okay, maybe. Or like, no, or like, yes, and you didn't really trust in it. It was like a silly thing. But also... We do this even like with sports games, like a football game, like a, like a coin toss. You're like, coin toss is a pretty big deal. Like, who starts this? And you start with a coin toss. And it's just up to chance who should start the game. It's kind of strange here. I mean, but this is how traditionally, Jewish tradition, when you were trying to figure out the leading of God, you would do this. So in our text today, Matthias is picked. Uh, it's kind of interesting, but we never hear about this guy again. I- I'm just saying, like, he didn't write any books. We don't hear about him. And so you have to wonder, like, mm, maybe wrong decision? I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe they tried to discern God's will, and they're like, dang, this guy, we should have not picked him. We don't hear about him again. Like, it's, it's very strange. But this is the, this is the, this is the point I, I want to make. And it's not really the point of the text, but I want to make this for a second. I actually like their process with a slight adaptation for making, like, big decisions in life. We all make decisions. We have a lot of them. A lot of them aren't fun or a lot of them are really hard, and a lot of them have a lot on the line. And it's always like, God, what should I do? Right? We all, we all have them. Like, uh, where, do I, where should I send my kids to school? Where should I go to school if you're older? Should I take this job or not? Who should I marry? Is this the right person? Right, we have so many big decisions in our life, and uh, there's decisions all around us. And so, if you can you throw up that process again. So this is the disciples' process, and I would say that here's why I like this. Just to speak into decision making as a believer for a second. Um, they're doing all of this, remember, in community. They're doing it as a group, and so what would be helpful, right, in our own lives when we have to make a decision, when we feel like a need arises in our own life, I think God God does give give us wisdom and understanding to kind of put qualifications on that, right? Like, so if you want to have a new job, you probably need enough money at that job to pay your bills. That would be wisdom, Like, you might not want to take a job if you know you can't survive on what it costs. That's wisdom. God didn't tell you that. That's just wisdom. When making any decision, though, it's important to have people around you and surrounded that love you and care about you and love Jesus so you can bounce ideas off, they can pray for you. So in any decision that you have to make, usually we narrow it down. Sometimes it's easy, like, should I take the job or not? Like, there's not two jobs to choose from. But you know what I mean? Like, we narrow it down to a decision. I would say, the slight adaptation is, don't cast lots for that. Don't go, like, grab some rocks, grab some sand at the beach, and, like, pick it out and be like, that's it. Here's why I I, I would interject. After this moment in Acts... What happens in chapter 2? The Holy Spirit falls upon the church. And guess what we never see again in the New Testament? Casting lots. So, So think about that. They cast lots because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. Jesus has left. So literally, they're just kind of going off wisdom. This is their ancient Jewish tradition of casting lots. They cast lots. A guy gets picked. We don't know if the guy was right, honestly. That's how it says it, but we never see him again. But my point is, is that now as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. God's word and his spirit, I believe, God speaks to us and leads us into decisions. So the change I would make is like, you have a need, involve other people, God gives you wisdom to narrow it down. Then you pray and seek God and the Holy Spirit leads you and you make the decision the best that you can with what you feel like God's leading you to do. But here's the takeaway. Bring it it home for a second. From the disciples and for any decision. God leads and God speaks. Believe that. But we're gonna hear wrong and we're gonna mess up. For them, they might even pick the wrong guy. Sometimes we're so fearful of making decisions in our lives and the right decision that we either don't make the decision or we get so stressed and so worried that we even fail to pray and fail to hear from the Lord. We're going to mess up, but you can take it to the bank that God is always bigger. He can and he will make things work out, especially when we make a wrong decision, a bad decision poor decision. That is the gospel, right? We're going to mess up, but God always comes through and we doubt all the time that he's not, but he's true to his character character, and that all things work out. My point here is that even in this moment of decision-making for the disciples, this is like the first corporate decision they have to make without Jesus. The first thing they do what do they do? They seek God. They trust God. It, for them, casting lots was the extreme test of, of, of trusting God's sovereignty. It's not up to us. It's up to God what we'll do today. Every aspect of the life of the believer should be lived in this same posture. God, it's your doing it. You do it. You lead me you use me. It's a posture of humility and dependency. And all my gibber jabbing aside, wind, no problem. If you remember one line from today, you're like, Riz talks a lot. He talks fast. I see your head shaking. If you remember one line, it's this. The power of God will be seen in and through our lives when we have a posture of prayer. This is the book of Acts. The power of God is seen through ordinary men and women because they have a posture of prayer that apart from God, they can do nothing. When it comes to prayer for you and I, It's not so much chasing after the subject of our prayer, but rather it's our communion with God as we posture ourselves under his authority and his leading, right, with humility and dependency. When we come to God, when we bring our requests to God, it's not so much about the answers, of those prayers, but it's about the prayer itself that we're coming before our Father in heaven asking God, you do it, I need you, I can't do this without you. Church, when is the last time we prayed that for ourselves? It's not meant to be prayed only at the low points, when tragedy strikes, when we lose our jobs, when a family member is diagnosed with a sickness. That is not the only time that we're supposed to come to God desperate. So many times that's the story of our lives, unfortunately, that we only come to God when we're, in a, when we're up against a wall and we don't know what to do and it's our last resort. The point of this is that we're supposed to come to God not only in the low points, but at all points. The good, the bad, daily, a posture, a habit, a rhythm of prayer. So I want to exhort and encourage us to examine our lives today and adjust and turn accordingly to live this way. Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team up right now. And as they come up, I want to join. have you join with me as I pray this prayer for us. Studying this week in one of the commentaries, one commentator offered a prayer to pray in light of this context in Acts chapter one as a posture of prayer. And so as we pray this and as we enter into a time of worship, allow this to form you. Allow this to be uh, what directs us today in this prayer. It says this: "O oh God." Forgive us for being content with our own resources. Help us to recognize our poverty and then call to you for the riches of the power of the Holy Spirit. And once we ask, help us to expect you to answer and provide. Help us to continue ever in sincere, heartfelt prayer, knowing that without you, nothing good will transpire in our lives. May our sails be full with the wind of your spirit as we carry out high adventures for your glory in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. That is my prayer for us today. And as we continue our time of worship right now, one second. We, we allow about 20 or so minutes after the sermon as a way of response to God's Word and what the Spirit of God is leading us. It's so easy to walk out of this room and then just literally forget about everything that was spoken. And I, I believe and trust that God has spoken to each of us in, in a certain way. And this time as we worship him is a time to respond to that. So for some of us, if you're like me, it, 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 I just need a little like space to kind of process what God just spoke. And so for me, it's either standing in the back or coming up front or, or kneeling down on the carpets up here so that I can just be with Jesus. Like God, I just need, I just need to be with you right now. But then there's moments That God has spoken to me where I just want to celebrate and rejoice. So I'll raise my hands or I'll raise my voice or I'll stand up because I'm thankful. But as always, we see the value in remembering what Jesus did on the cross, how he died and then rose again. And so what happened in that last supper, in that upper room, is that Jesus instituted communion, the bread and the cup. So we have bread and we have juice to the right or to the left, and at any time, you can come up and you can take the bread and tip it in the juice, and what that does is remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us, that his body was broken and his blood that was spilled, and you do it. It's signifying a remembrance of what he did for us, and it moves us to worship. It moves us to prayer as we remember the cross. And so, church, let's do that. Let's respond to the leading of God and how he spoke to us this morning. Amen? Amen.